0: Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, Bargaining Better Charter Contracts. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from our Chicago teachers. I am your co-host, Andrea Parker.
1: And I'm Jim Staros. How you doing, Miss Parker?
0: I am doing well. Happy Black History Month.
1: Thanks. Happy to you, too.
0: This is my favorite month of the year, because not only is it Black History Month, Jam, mm-hmm. it is Valentine's Day month. That's true. It is my birthday month. Nice. It is Groundhog's Day month. And it's also tax refund check month.
1: Is it? For those who get refund checks. Oh. I know you. <laughs> I, apparently, I don't get none because I didn't know about that. Okay. Apparently,
0: because cool. you don't you don't have a great tax guy.
1: I'm apparently not. I need your tax guy, I guess.
0: Yeah, you do. I'll give you his number.
1: Well, thanks. Anyway, so what are we talking about today?
0: Today, we're going to talk about bargaining for better charter contracts because for our audience who may or may not know, all our CTU charter schools are in bargaining contracts. That's right. And so, you know, that time of year or that time of the season when it comes up, it's an issue. And the biggest issue, just like with district ran schools are more staffing mm-hmm. and wraparound services.
1: That's right. And CTU, because this is how we roll, of course, we had the first, you know, charter contracts in the country. We had the yes. first charter strikes in the country. We were the one, first ones to be able to win some of these uh, supports and services and pay for our charter brothers and sisters that are in the classroom. We're pioneers. We are, and that—that's how we roll. So it just seems, you know, for all of our listeners out there, it always seems just regular. This is how we do it. But everybody else, they're like, "CTU doing it again? What are you CTU doing?" We're bargaining for all these contracts because whatever school of kids in, that's what where they need those services. You know, the charters, although they've claimed they could do a better job and a cheaper job, they've done neither of those things. It's not really the fault of the teachers in the building because they haven't been given what they need. They've been underpaid.
0: Under Under
1: Underresourced, right. And all these resources have been, been taken away by the charter operators. And really what we're trying to do in this bargaining is force the the charter operators to give that money back to the students and the teachers where it belongs.
0: That is correct. And Jim, as you alluded to earlier, many parents choose a charter option because they have been told by the powers that be that we are a high-quality option. And not that they don't have high-quality teachers. I, I'm, I believe they do. But they don't have enough high-quality teachers. Again, teachers are very upset. And we do not want our teachers to lead this profession. As we know, one of the main reasons why teachers lead this field is because they are overwhelmed, they're stressed out, because they do not have the resources they need. So we are trying to support our charter brothers and sisters and ensuring that they have the best contract because again they service our children in chicago the children who really need it the most
1: one of the problems we've got with the the way the charters are being done in the neighborhoods is you see and you will even see these advertisements on the sides of buses on the billboards and if you're a parent who doesn't know and i see a school that's been under resourced for decades and they haven't had this and it's falling apart and paints peeling off the building And then they build a brand new multi-million dollar, super shiny school right next to it, all high tech and everything. Well, where are you going to send your kids? It makes sense that that's what you do. They probably did fund it well for a year or two to convince all those people to go, which then means... The other school, the neighborhood school, is being under-resourced, and now they're under-resourcing both of them. And, And this is what we're really trying to fight, to bring the charter contracts more into line with the way CPS contracts are, because that's the way that students need to be serviced within the building. Whether, like you said, whether it's SPED, it's bilingual services, it's STLS, it's whatever it is. Whatever it is that these students need is what we need to provide them, and that's what they deserve.
0: Jim, you are so right. If the schools are not meeting the parents' needs, they leave. Not only they leave the school, they leave like, the city, they leave the district. And so now we have more and more students leaving CPS and it's constant. Every year, the enrollment is dropping. And so if you fund the schools and you get quality teachers, you get enough service, you get wraparound service, you have people that not only stay in the city, but it will invite more families to come into the city, which will bring in more tax revenue, which will bring in more resources, which will continue to fund better education. And now everybody's happy. So just do the
1: right thing. Exactly. Do the right thing. And it's frustrating to hear people say, oh, well, you know, the schools are taking too much money, blah, blah, blah. But how many times have you heard people say, I moved to this, this suburb because it's got good schools. I moved over here because of this. They do that all the time. Why do you think that that wouldn't happen in Chicago? Like we're the only people who don't care. Come on now. That, That doesn't even make any sense. If it's true out in the suburbs, it's true here. And there's a reason there's no charters in the suburbs. Because they already fund their schools with high property taxes, which is a whole nother discussion about whether it should be done that way or not. You already know. I don't think it should be, but that's a different story. But all of this stuff is, you know, only focused in certain communities and communities of color and under-resourced communities to even further exploit those communities by sucking even more resources out of them.
0: Mm. I'm getting frustrated listening.
1: You know what, to alleviate that frustration, I think we ought to go to our guests now, because we got two fantastic guests talking about charter schools and charter contracts. We got uh, Denaria Dukes, who is doing all kinds of stuff over in the Acero Network. And we got Jen Conan, who works for CICS Northtown, and we're going to go to them right now. Let's do it. All right, so we're back with our two distinguished guests. We've got Denaria Dukes. She's a sped apprentice at Daniel Zazumba in the Acero Network. She's been there for a long time. Started actually as a guest teacher there, and now she is the vice president of PSRP's and the bargaining rep for her campus. We're also joined with Jen Conant, who is a math teacher at CICS Northtown and also the chair of the charter division. How are you guys doing today?
2: Doing pretty well. Thanks. Pretty good. Awesome.
1: Glad to have you guys.
0: Let's get right into it. What are the main
2: issues in this contract campaign? Staffing is a really huge issue at all of our 12 networks that we represent in the charter division. Um, We need more staff for our diverse learners or students with special needs. We have a lot of English language learners in charter schools, just like in the district, and we know that they need more support. Um, so we need additional bilingual teachers, ESL teachers, and our students, you know, across the city of Chicago have had a big impact um, from the pandemic. You know, a lot of students have additional academic and emotional needs. And so we're also asking for additional academic and behavioral interventionists, wraparound services like counselors, social workers, deans, and our sort of justice coordinators, things like that. So staffing is really important. Um, It looks a little different at each school, but those are sort of the broad strokes. Um, And then we also want to make sure that the work is sustainable long-term, and that includes improving pay for our PSRPs, um, ensuring that we have good healthcare coverage, that we're fighting for things like paid parental leave, and getting policies in our schools that help reduce staff turnover and um, help educators stay there long-term.
0: I know you all said that you are lacking a lot of staffing, especially around your diverse learners. So, because there are a lack of staff, are some services going without?
3: Um, as you as you know, statistics kind of show that we don't have a lot of people coming out of college with special education degrees. Those that are educated in that field, they got to pick up the slack, right? So now we have it where you might have one teacher doing the job of two teachers. And not to mention, class sizes, you know, we got so many students, so we're doing lunch duties. We're picking up so many other things that we're not able to service the students as much as we could. And if we could, we wouldn't have such a long list of kids waiting for services. At this point, like no amount of recruiting is really helping if they're not coming out with those degrees.
1: You know, one question I had, and this is maybe for some of our listeners out there that don't know the difference between the charter contracts and the way CPS works. Since the charters are funded by CPS, how can we just don't use the regular CPS contract?
2: That is a great question um, because charters uh, are run by private organizations and they said that they could do education better. Um, and we have seen that that was uh, a promise unfulfilled. And as Union members, we are trying to fulfill the the promises of our schools to educate students well. We are trying to hold our um, bosses accountable to providing the best education possible. Uh, And so, since they're all separate charter operators, um, when you go to negotiate a contract, you have to negotiate with that charter operator. So, you know, they certainly didn't want the CPS contract the first time around because that would have required them to to do a lot of things that they didn't want to do. So you start from scratch and you build from there. But we're being really intentional about um, our proposals this time around. We're looking at all 12 of our charter networks and their contracts. We're looking at the CPS contract and we're coming up with contract proposals that are the best of all of those and trying to fight for that. So we're trying to improve standards, not just in our specific charter schools, but also set some standards that could be helpful for the district negotiations as well. We want to improve standards of education across the whole city, not just in the 32 charter schools that we represent.
1: It's that the, the charters are different actual operators than CPS is, and they don't have to abide by the rules that a lot of the CPS teachers know to be true. Correct. Since they don't have to, they're not going to unless we make them.
2: Right. We have to write a new rule book. Uh, otherwise, they'll just do whatever they want.
1: Wow. That's crazy. And you're doing all this while you guys are teaching too, right? That's insane. Yeah. Wow.
2: We have a lot of really incredible rank and file leaders, um, Denieria being one of them, who are putting in so many hours every week to be on these bargaining teams, to review proposals, to be in negotiations. Um, they're doing amazing jobs telling our charter operators what they need to do differently. And, um, you know, they can speak to what's really happening in the classroom. And and again. Work to hold our charter operators accountable.
1: You know, I know during the 2019 strike, there were some of the charter schools that were sort of on strike at the same time. Like Passages was one of them. And I know that you know a lot of members, especially the charter schools, saw the reason why it was important to strike and stand with the CPS teachers. But for CPS teachers, if I'm a CPS teacher, why why is it important for me what's going on at the charter schools? Why should I care what's happening over at Acero or CICS or some of the other charters, because I've got my contract. Why should that affect me?
3: You know what, Jim? That's a good point. But I want you to think about it like this. We all are under the same umbrella, right? We're all the Chicago Teachers Union. I think that was January 2018, Jen, when we merged. And um, Acero, we were the first charter in the nation to strike in December 2018. And CTU was incredibly supportive. My members had no idea of like the affiliation, really, you know, basically how serious it was until we went on strike and, you know, we were using the CTU hall and CPS teachers were driving by, dropping off coffee and donuts and stuff to our members. Just that overwhelming feeling of support, they received it. And so now that's not even a thought now. Now they proudly wear CTU gear on Wednesdays. You know, they understand it now it's one and the same. We all, regardless of if you're at a charter, public school, whatever, we all are doing that same job, waking up early in the morning and working with kids, doing the same thing throughout the day. So, I mean, it's really hard to make that division,
2: but we all got the same goal. To build up what Denario was saying, you know, we are one collective union and we want to support each other, but there's also like a really practical piece. If we don't win big pay increases in the charter contracts, that puts downward pressure on district negotiations, right? Why would the district pay you more if they can have educators be paid a lot less in other schools, right? Why would they agree to enforceable class size limits if charters say, no, we can put 40 kids in a classroom, right? So there there are real world implications uh, for the agreements that we land in the charter space. If we Win important standards for for our set of schools. It helps set us up for successful negotiations with the district because you our CTU members can say, "Hey, in this charter school, they limit class sizes to twenty eight students. We should do that in the district too, right?" Or that's an example, but it it could be really any topic. But if we don't win those things, then the district has less of an incentive to improve things as well.
1: So basically, if CPS can do it in the charter schools, they can do it for the district.
0: Interesting. (laughs) So I know you both alluded to this earlier when you all said that um, because of a lack of proper, you know, uh, quality staffing that one teacher had to do the work of two teachers. Tell me more about that. Tell me a little bit more how these issues play out in your classroom.
3: Just to kind of piggyback off of that, like maybe um, sometimes I'll do I'll have like a fifth grader and a fourth grader doing a test in the same room. I'm working with this one. Okay. You get started then working with that one versus like, it would be a lot easier if it was two people and one can pull this one and one could pull that one. It's really a lot of teamwork when you're lacking staff in a lot of areas, especially when it comes to diverse learners. Like even throughout the course of the day, I'll have like three of my DL students and three of them need three different things. I got a kid that he needs to go upstairs to the third floor to gym. Then I got another kid that needs to go see the nurse, and then I have another kid that just needs to go for a walk. So you have to multitask. Okay, my kid that needs to go for a walk, you about to hang out with me for the next fifteen minutes. Then my kid that needs to go to gym, come on, let's go, let's race you up to the gym. My kids that needs to go to the nurse, it's not urgent. On the way back from the gym, we go to the nurse. You, it's a field trip. I mean, you do it long enough, you figure it out.
2: But you shouldn't have to, right? We want to be able to provide as much attention to each student as possible. You know, it really takes a toll over time. If you're doing the work of multiple staff members, you get run down, you feel exhausted, and you can't bring the best version of yourself to work every day. And we want to be able to bring the best version of ourselves to work every day, be there for our students, and provide a welcoming classroom environment and meet their needs.
3: It definitely tires you out because like throughout the course of a day i mean a teacher is a you're an educator you some you become a mom you're a nurse you you know you're a counselor you're doing five different things so you go to bed almost with that stuff on your mind Did such and such do this or did i give them their homework or i hope they eat tonight because then i gotta you know i hope they do it is so, it is just so much going on but like jen said Teachers are nurturers anyway, right? So you're going to have that in you, but the help is needed, (laughs) is urgent.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and we've actually filed a lot of grievances in a number of our schools about the schools not meeting the services required for students, you know, if they don't have enough special educators to write IEPs or provide minutes, if we don't have the the case managers to organize meetings, um, you know. There are just a lot of things that fall through the cracks if you don't have enough staff. People do their absolute best, but it's sometimes not enough.
1: That's right. I mean, staffing is a problem everywhere in the district. And, you know, the charters for the longest time had been advertising one of their benefits is they could do education more cheaply than everybody else, which is a really sad selling point, right? Like, hey, I can teach your kid cheaper than anybody else. I mean, that, this isn't like a brand of potato chips where I can get the off-brand Uncle Bud's and that's just as good as the Pringles or whatever. But I can't believe that that's their whole argument. And they're still not even doing that. It's not even working, even according to their own metric, which is already pathetically low.
2: You summed it up very well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just want to be mad about that for a minute. Yeah. We all are mad about it. I know. I mean, we need more resources. Like, you know, one of the charter schools I'm working with, it's it's a, you know, it's an alternative type school. And these are kids who have already shown they need more resources. They need more help than a regular student. The The schools aren't, and not just the charters, I mean, the district as well, aren't even providing at the regular level. If I was perfectly fine, I don't have any bilingual needs. I don't have any special education needs. I don't have any family issues. I don't have any kind of on housing problem. I don't have any of these other issues. They're still not giving me enough money for that. Then you add all that other crap on top and we're like, Hey, we're going to add all that onto you, give you less staffing, give less resources to it. Good luck. I mean, it's nuts.
2: Yeah. It shouldn't be a surprise when it doesn't work well.
1: Yeah. And then, then it's our fault as teachers that we didn't do it right. If we cared more, if we put in some more time, like, you know, come on now, stop.
0: And this is um, really also, I would just say really quickly, very insulting to parents because, again, as um, Jim you alluded to earlier, and I think Jen as well, the charter school operation or network has tutored themselves as being, "Hey, we're a high quality option." Period. We can do it better, and time and time again, it is shown that they are not doing it better. Not because and I said the teachers are not better, but because again, this systemic, not hiring wraparound service and having a fully staffed building is not the priority. Um, the priority is still capitalism.
1: And I mean that, that profit mode is why we have to go through these contract negotiations because they're not going to do it unless we force them to, you know, even though the, the, the school itself may be nonprofit, the the corporation that owns the charter isn't, and they get a lot of this or not necessarily, let me fr- rephrase that. It's not necessarily. And Although we, they still get staffed or funded at the same amount that they get with their uh, per pupil funding um, as the regular schools do, which is already inadequate. There's a percentage of that that's taken off so that the charter owners can actually make some money off that. And they're doing it in particularly disadvantaged communities to harm the community schools. And they thought they could suck the resources out of those neighborhoods. I mean, you don't see charters in New Trier. You don't see them in Winnetka. I mean, what, if they're that good, how come they ain't there? I mean, those parents, they're just too dumb. They don't understand the charters are it. No, because they've got fully funded schools. They understand how it works and they want it staffed and they don't want charters or anybody else taking the resources away. But we need that in our neighborhoods.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I can actually give a pretty practical example of how much money goes to administrative costs and how we as as unionists fight to put that money back in the classroom. So back in 2018, 2019, when we were negotiating our last contract um, at our CICS, unionized schools, about 23 cents on every dollar went to administrative or management costs.
1: Holy shit. Yeah. That's even more than I thought it was. I was using a number of 20% and I thought I was way over inflating it for effect. Apparently, I was underselling it. My bad.
2: Yeah, so you know, at CICS we have the charter holder, which is CICS, but then they farm out management of their schools to charter operators or charter management organizations below them. So some money, you know, goes to to CPS as the overarching group. Then some money goes to CICS. They have all their administrative staff. Then we have the charter management organization that runs our schools. So there's money going to, into the staff at that level, and then it comes to our schools, and so you know, we were really serious about making a dent in that. And we were on strike for two weeks. You know, a couple of the things that were most important to us were enforceable class size limits and winning wraparound services. And, you know, wraparound services, one of the last things we reached an agreement on, but we won guaranteed counselors and social workers in all of our schools. And it's been incredibly important to have those staff members to support our students as we've come back into our schools from the pandemic, you know, as we deal with violence in our communities and the loss of loved ones, you know, it's been incredibly important. And I've never heard anyone regret a day of that strike because they knew that we were winning things that were important for our students. So we were able to get, you know, more than a million dollars shifted from other places back into our schools. And that was really important. And so we want to be able to do that in all of our charter schools, when those wraparound services, when, you know, enforceable class size limits, when pay that makes the work sustainable, because as you've referenced a bunch of times, charter operators um, often woefully underpay staff, which is why there's very high turnover. And, you know, equal pay for equal work is really important. Why would people stay at a charter where they're being underpaid if they can go somewhere and be paid, you know, fairly for their work? And so we need to um, improved pay for, for all of our educators. And that is an investment in the classroom.
1: Okay. So speaking of that, I mean, like you had mentioned before, that right now there's 12 different charter operators that we're trying to get an agreement from. So maybe you can talk a little bit about where we are in those negotiations and what are you doing to kind of try to get this to move forward?
3: It's been nonstop. Let's first let's be clear with the negotiation process. We won our contract. December 9th, in the wee hours of the morning, 2018, right? We spent most of 2019 enforcing it, making sure everything was good, right? Then fast forward to March 13th, 2020, something crazy happened in the world. There was this thing called a shutdown of everything that led us back into negotiations of a MOU, Memorandum of Understanding for Safety Concerns and stuff like that. Then we did another MOU for transitioning back into the classroom. Then we did another MOU for the 21-22 school year for coming back. So that said, we really just started this whole bargaining process as of August 2022, I'd say, Jen. So the process right now is passing as much as we can across the table, trying to get management into meetings with us. Uh, trying to meet as much as we can because our acero contract did expire in july we had an extension and now we're just working on expiration at this point so when i tell you it's been a long process and we just don't understand like if we're just tired management has to be too it's been literally non-stop
2: mm-hmm Right. So, Denira was speaking to her experience, but that was at all of our charters, right? Negotiating safety MOU after safety MOU after safety MOU to then start renegotiating our contracts. So, even though we have 12 um, separate networks that we represent and 12 separate contracts, we um, are working to coordinate our proposals so that we're setting standards across the entire City, And that takes a lot of time and work. So, you know, in addition to being at each negotiating table, we our rank and file leaders are also meeting together to talk about, okay, what should our demand be around special education staffing? What should our demands be around class size? What um, should our demands be around safety committees, right? Bringing some of those um, provisions we want in safety MOUs into our current contract or the contract we're renegotiating. And so we're doing a lot of work to make sure that we are staying coordinated and not, you know, lowering standards at one table, which could allow an employer at a different table to say like, oh, hey, they're underpaying people over there. I'm going to continue to do that, too. And so there's a lot of talking and coordination among all of the different leaders. Um, We come together, you know, every two weeks to talk about where we are, what's going on and what we should be proposing or thinking about. Um, And then folks go back to their own bargaining teams and their negotiating tables and continue to do this work. So it's a lot of work because there's so many different contracts that we're negotiating, but we're really intentional about, about doing this right and staying coordinated.
1: You know, I have to admit that I thought I work here at CTU central office now. And I thought Jen was a new hire we had here because I see her here all the time. I It was honestly not until a couple months ago I realized she had a whole nother job. Like I saw her here all the time and I'm like, damn, she's doing this and a whole nother job somewhere else. And I'm like, this is what everybody's doing at these tables. And, you know, Denario is doing the same thing. Like every, it's insane the amount of work you guys do. I can't tell you how much we all appreciate it. Um, you know, I know that your guys in the in the buildings do, but we do all across the district for what you guys are doing to really stand up for our students and for our members.
0: But the good news is, Jim, in reference to that contract fight, you know, when CTU fight, we win. I am not concerned under any circumstances. Um, your fights, your battle is not in vain. These contract negotiations is just bringing light to a lot of charter networks across the country, not just in the Chicago area. Um, and I believe more and more are going to get unionized and they will know that they're not going to be able to get away with capitalizing off our education. So you're going to win. We will win. We're going to wear them
3: out. We know we're going to win. This is the process, though. You know, that's it. it, is. That's it. This is, that, and that's just how I look
2: at it. It's 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 the process. But we're fighters. We don't come this far. We ready. And thanks to district members who come out to support Um, when we might show up at board meetings or end up on a picket line, we would love to have district members come on out and support and we'll be there for you guys too. Got
1: it. Is there anything our members could do to help support you guys in in what your efforts are?
2: This coming Wednesday, one week from
3: today, February 8th at 6 p.m. at uh, Soto High School,
2: there's going to be a small rally starting at 5.30 so yes, it would be great if people could come out and pick it ahead of the meeting and then they can join the board meeting or if they need to go home, they could do that too. But, you know, any amount of support uh, from across the charters or the district space would be much appreciated.
3: There's there's strength in numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So just having people there, unfortunately, we can't bring signs or things of that nature, but you could wear red from head to toe and sit on the seat. Ain't nothing they could do about that there, right?
1: Where is Soto High School?
3: Soto High School is, I want to say, like 51st and Holman, just west of Kedzie. It's a big, beautiful, like, glass, like, brand new, like, building.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's a good way to show support, even if we can't necessarily be in there in the buildings every day. It's something we can do to show that even the regular people of Chicago are supporting what you guys are doing. That's right.
0: Well, thank you all so much for being on guests on CTU Speaks. I really appreciate your efforts. And I'm sure the next time we have you on the show, it'll be to broadcast great news.
3: Yes.
1: All the wins. That's right. Thanks
3: for having us. This is incredibly awesome. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, guys.
3: Thank you. Thank you
0: so much for listening to this episode of CTU Speaks Bargaining Better charter contracts we had so much fun talking to you all today even though this is a very serious issue yep i am so thankful for the guests that we had who really gave you all knowledge and understanding and again a reason for us to fight for quality schools for all of our students in the city whether district or ctu chart
1: and don't forget you know even though you may not be working in the charter yourself Please make sure you come out and support our, our friends and our brothers and sisters that are in the Charter Network fight. They mentioned a couple of events that are going to be coming up. We're going to have links to those on the show notes here. And whenever you see them, if they're out there picketing or doing whatever, honk your horn, it's not that hard. You just go by and you're like, beep, beep. And everybody like, yay. And then we appreciate that. So thanks.
0: Yes. And if you want to reach out to Jim or myself, Please don't hesitate to call us with questions, ideas, at our phone number, 312-467-8888. Again, 312-467-8888. If you like technology a little more better, you want to email us, you can do that as well at ctuspeaks at Local one.org again ctu speaks at ctulocal1.org thank you again for listening it's black history month and we are ctu speaks where we only speak what matters until next time
1: see you guys thanks